Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today we're talking about what is the one thing that changed everything in your recovery. And so I have the team Recovery Warriors here with me, and we're all going to look at the different perspectives of what was the one thing that was a cornerstone piece. So essentially, without this piece being put into place or this building block being established, your recovery wouldn't have had a strong foundation. I'd like to introduce you to Miriam, Madeline, Manaya, and Andrea. My name is Miriam, and I'm the chief editor, uh, which means I'm responsible for all the editorial content on Recovery Warriors. I am Madeline. I am the brand designer, and I'm responsible for making our company vision come to life and build connections in our community to share all of our resources. Hi, everyone. My name is Minaya. I'm the director of marketing here at Recovery Warriors team. I'm responsible for helping our warriors connect to our resources and discover our educational programs. Hi, I'm Andrea. I am the podcast producer for Recovery Warriors shows, and I am responsible for scheduling guests and ultimately growing our network of shows. So I love getting multiple perspectives, many voices, one journey. So we're all here today to share what that one thing was to give you inspiration to start to implement different things and try new things in your recovery. Who wants to start here with the one thing, this one thing was instrumental in understanding how to move forward in recovery, whether this is a concept that you had or an idea or a perspective shift or an actual skill or something that you had to start implementing in practical ways? The one thing for me would be community. When I first started recovery, I joined a 14-week outpatient group program. And just to like meet other people in the flesh talking about what you experienced that maybe, you know, I didn't share with other people at that time. And it's like, oh my God, I'm not alone in this. There are other people like this. It's not just me. And that sense of community, it kicked off in that group and it carried on throughout the years until now. You know, the community can be online too. Like I found tons of social media accounts that were recovery focused. I followed them. I still follow them. I found Recovery Warriors. Now I work here. Um, So the sense of community, I think, was huge because eating disorders are so isolating. And I felt so much shame that I was so quiet about. And I didn't really share my experience until I got to that group. And I realized there's a whole community who relates, who wants to get better. And that that was key, just opening up that world into the community of eating disorder recovery. Yeah, community is huge. I always found in our programs, people would not really think community was going to be important to the recovery process. And that was actually what allowed them to 
feel understood, uh, that self-compassion component of common humanity, that they're not alone, that what you're the behaviors that you're acting, the thoughts that you have are not just random, like other people are having these and you're not alone in that struggle. It sounds so small. I wouldn't have expected it to be a big deal myself, but when I lived it, wow, that was a game changer. (laughs) Yeah. Manaya, I remember you saying something about that when you went through Map My Recovery. Yeah, absolutely. I take on that. I the thing is, eating disorders, you feel so lonely. You feel like you're only one that are going through this and the only one that feels that way and that no one's going to be able to understand you. And it's such a relief to see that you're not the only one that actually people are feeling the same way that you're feeling and that they can understand you and that you can be yourself around them. You can just say whatever you're thinking and feeling and they're going to be there for you. They're going to support you all the way. I I started feeling much better the moment I, I connected with people. And for me as well, I think one of the biggest ones for me was self-compassion. So understanding self-compassion and implementing it. Because I'm a recovery perfectionist. I've always been really hard with myself and... Yeah, I wasn't treating my, myself well, you know. I wasn't treating myself like a, a friend or someone I, that I love. I was being really harsh. And the moment I implemented the self-compassion, it's like the ED couldn't thrive anymore. I don't think it is can thrive in an environment of self-compassion. It is thriving in guilt and shame and fear. So the moment you start using self-compassion, it's like, the ED loses power and suddenly you have the power and the way you deal with everything with regarding eating disorder and everything in your life changes so much. You can pick up yourself much faster. Um, the way you feel after a setback or after you engage in a behavior that you're not proud about, it's just a game changer. So it wasn't easy, I gotta say. <laughs> like, I understood the concept of self-compassion, but it took me a while to to actually being able to to feel it and to do it. I'm very, very loving with myself, but it just changed everything for me. How did you go from just intellectualizing it, like hearing about it? Self-compassion, this is something that is going to be so helpful in your recovery journey. And then going from that concept to to actually feeling it? Were there any certain practices that helped you or what did that look like for you? For a while, I had to kind of fake it till I make it. So I would constantly give myself words of affirmation. So I would place, I like to place my my hands on my chest or on my belly. And I would continue to repeat to myself, you know, like loving words, like, hey, it's okay, I'm here for you. I I hear you, I feel you, I love you, I forgive you. And at the beginning, I wouldn't feel that what I was saying was true. I would just just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. But then I I don't know how it happened, honestly. But then one day, I, I just started feeling that what I was saying, it actually made sense. And, and, and I actually felt that kind of like love coming from me to me through me and I was like okay so this is self-compassion this is being compassionate with myself and treating myself with love and yeah so I would say 
keep going, keep trying, keep saying it until you feel it and, and, and it's going to come. Yeah, totally. I find that what you mentioned there with the soothing touch gesture, so actually putting your hand somewhere on your, your body, your heart, or on your face, or on your hand, that really evokes the mammalian response of feeling nurtured and cared for, which is like a whole nother layer of what you can practice with self-compassion aside just from the words of self-kindness. So that's, that's great that you combine those two. And I find that self-compassion is like, it reminds me of, you know, the movie, The Wizard of Oz, where there's the the Wicked Witch of the West. And when you start to like pour water on her, she's like, I'm melting. And then like starts dying. Like what you were saying there is like, when you start to apply self-compassion to your life, it literally like melts away that the Wicked Witch within you, that the part that's just like criticizing you and is sabotaging you and once and is so critical. And you can start to use those words to melt away that self-criticism. And it does lighten up over time. I, I must admit, when I went through recovery, I did not know what self-compassion was until years later. And I went through an intensive training program myself through a mindful-based self-compassion training. So I actually didn't know what self-compassion was when I was in recovery from an eating disorder. I started to learn that I couldn't beat myself up to get to where I wanted to be. I couldn't criticize myself into a version of myself that I loved. But I didn't know there was actually this concept called self-compassion. I don't think the science really started to come out until Kristen Neff popularized it. And now there's you know thousands and thousands of empirical-based research studies that show the power of self-compassion. But I think it's, it's so cool that it's becoming popularized and is getting out there more in, in the actual wording around it and the science. Yeah. I want to echo what Manaya said. Like, when you first hear about it and you're so used to beating yourself up when you're struggling with an eating disorder, it doesn't feel authentic and that can turn you off from wanting to do it. But for me, I kind of accepted like it's supposed to feel not natural or like it's not right or like I don't deserve it, but do it anyway. And I did it anyway, just like Manaya said. And eventually it sinks in. It starts to make sense. You just have to stick to it. Even if it doesn't feel right, give yourself the opportunity to do it anyway. So what is another thing, Miriam, what for you was the one thing that really made a difference in your recovery? Yeah, I think thinking about this, it's kind of difficult. I feel like for me, so when I was in like the deepest part of my eating disorder, I was working in this consulting department of a big accounting firm and working like really long hours, feeling miserable because I was feeling miserable in my job. I knew that was not what I was put on this earth to do like as like miserable in that I felt so bad like about myself physically emotionally and so for me I think what really turned it around was I found the right treatment provider at that time right therapist and she was like you know if you don't want to do that then why are you and sort of made me like I guess compassion is kind of a component of it because I allowed myself to be like, yeah, this is not going to work. I'm never going to recover if I continue to live this life. So I quit my job and I started to really look at myself like, what do I want to do? What do I like? So I started like painting and doing like crochet and knitting. Like I started doing all kinds of creative things like ceramics. And eventually I realize, okay, actually, I have this experience, I want to do something with this, I want to be able to help other people too. And so that's what I was like, had as this big goal, like I wanted to do that. And I knew in order to do that, I needed to be recovered, and I needed to feel better about myself, the world around me, like, 
And so that was this major goal. And again, I think Manaya mentioned this too, like the recovering perfectionist part, like I'm the same, like I have this drive. If I want something, I'm going to make it happen. So I started to use that perfectionism in my favor at this point and just made it like, if I want to help other people, I need to come out of this first myself. And so that like helped me really true, like eating food, like the weight gain, the like getting more social and everything. And so that was for me, I think the main factor was allowing myself uh, to make that decision. So it's like finding a deeper reason to recover. Mm-hmm. So like giving you a purpose. Yeah. And it sounds like your treatment provider, your therapist kind of helped midwife that experience and help you see that like you don't have to be in this job. You don't have to be living this unfulfilled life in your career. For sure. Yeah. Because I think it became like this spiral, right? Or this cycle where you're like unhappy, you're, you're struggling with this eating disorder, you're trying to find this outlet. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be really good at my job. I will feel better. But I would never because that wasn't the right job for me. That wasn't the right industry for me. I don't want to become a partner at the big four accounting firms. Like that's never been my dream. So yeah, I think allowing yourself, and again, that's where the compassion comes in too, to choose for yourself and your life and what you want to do is, can be really helpful. Oh, I love it. So it's like finding greater authenticity, like what you really want and not going after what you think you should be doing, right? Because it sounds like you had a lucrative position Mm -hmm. uh, with lots of ability to climb up the ladder, but that wasn't the ladder you wanted to climb. Exactly, exactly. Which goes to show that eating disorders can be so intertwined with other aspects of our life where you may think it's just the food and the body that's the issue, but it could be being out of alignment in other areas, whether it's your career, your relationships, your belief systems, growing up from childhood, your origin story that you've kind of held on to, all of these things can be factored into the development and the continuation of the eating disorder. Yeah. And I think it's that like low self-esteem that you're having at that moment, feeling so low about yourself and trying to seek for like acceptance from like, you know, people around you. I went to business school, undergrad, grad school. So I, you know, I did what was expected or what I thought was expected. And um, yeah, ultimately that is only gonna make it harder to recover because you're then so stuck in that cycle. Um, Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with, I mean, everything that you guys are saying. And I think for me, my, my one thing is probably a little bit of a mix um, of everything. So I mean, for sure, I do also want to recognize that I could not have done it without my team, uh, my therapist, my dietitian, for sure, that was crucial. But I think one of the most powerful shifts that I experienced was more internally. Um, And that was when I did my first yoga teacher training and started learning about all the kind of yogic philosophy. And the part of that that was most powerful to me was this idea of looking really at like, who am I and who am I not? So all of these behaviors, um, all of these thoughts, all of these emotions, like they don't define me. They don't define my worth. My worth is inherent just as a human being in a human existence. Uh, I'm worthy. I'm deserving of love, of acceptance, of all of those things. And whatever my body, my vessel looks like is frankly, totally irrelevant. And that was sounds so simple and so obvious. But you know, it really it isn't when you're in the in the disordered mindset. And so yeah, really just shifting that perception of myself, I guess, in my own mind, and really allowing myself to, as I said, sort of look at myself as worthy, I think was one of the biggest shifts for me. 
Ooh, so it was like accessing these deeper truths of who am I? And oh man, yoga was so helpful for me. The embodiment too on the mat and like making this kind of a sacred time to connect with your body, your breath, the movement. And I don't know, I just, I just remember that being like super sweet and special for me to like dedicate that time to myself and my, my recovery. Did you start off doing the yoga more like for the physical aspects of it, but then found that the emotional, mental, spiritual was what really like awakened your recovering? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a funny, it's kind of a funny story actually, because I started yoga on my recovery journey. So I had stopped exercise for a good year, you know, for obvious reasons, my brother's relationship to movement and my body was just not good. Um, So we had decided with my team that at first there was just going to be no exercise other than like going for walks or things like that. And then sort of when I was about a year or so into my recovery, I I wanted to move my body and I wanted to find a way to do that that was going to work. And they offered, they had a yoga teacher um, who did body love yoga. And so um, I took a few classes with her and I really liked it. And then I just kind of started doing it on my own through YouTube and stuff. And totally, I mean, I really relate to what you said as well. Also, just this idea, what it did for me was that it it gave me the space where I learned to just like listen to my body, like not have any of the other noise, just listen to my body, feel my body, listen to the messages that it's telling me and also not be influenced by any other things, you know, like miles or calories or hours done or minutes done. No, it was just movement and how it feels in my body. Um, And that was just so great. That was such a great difference to what it was before. I find the teachers too are so helpful in in yoga when you get like the right teacher who is talking more about the deeper truths. Like you're saying these, like, who am I? Not like chaturanga is like a push-up, you know, like when like some of these yoga ones, I mean, I've gone to some yoga classes where I'm like, I feel like this was just like a workout class, but it's the ones where the teachers really just, it's like you go in and you're like, soaking up all this wisdom at the same time, the mind body connection, all of that is, is just helping rewire the brain. Totally. And now you are becoming a teacher, right? You're in teacher training. I am a teacher. I am. I'm, oh, you are now. Okay. A, you are, yeah, yeah. you are a teacher. I, I, I am a teacher. It's been a little while already. I'm actually, I'm doing my second teacher training. So I'm doing the next level. Obviously I loved it so much that I had to keep going and (laughs) will probably continue to go on that path for the rest of my life. So yeah, I I love it. And I hope to be one of those teachers that you spoke about. (laughs) I love you. Yes. We'll we'll have you at our retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm loving all of these. I found everything you guys have covered so far has been so helpful in my recovery. All these pieces, the community, the yoga, like just the yoga, like beyond just the asanas, but like the yoga of, of living and really seeing it as a moment to moment thing and really accessing the deeper truth of who you are, self-compassion and just this greater step into authenticity and finding more purpose in your life. So letting go of the life you think you're supposed to have to allow the life that you want to have to unfold. So all these are super important. For me, I would say the one thing that changed everything in my recovery was really centered around self-awareness, which I got introduced as mindfulness back when I was first starting my recovery, was just to pay attention to my thoughts, my actions, my emotions. And prior to that, I was really numb to all of those. They kind of just, they controlled my life in many ways. Like I would have a thought and I would take action on it. I had somewhat more of this impulsive tendency towards 
engaging in my behaviors or just taking the first thought that comes through and believing it. And that gave so much power to the eating disorder. So when I began to have more self-awareness, which I found was through logging my meals, doing these diary cards, which are part of dialectical behavioral therapy, where you check in with, you know, what am I feeling? What, what are my emotions right now? What are my thoughts? And that was really the impetus and what like drove me to create the Rise Up and Recover app is because I could not have recovered without seeing the patterns. And I'm a scientist at heart. I, I was trained in sciences throughout my whole life was kind of my main jam where I was excelled in. And so I loved approaching that engineer physicist mindset I had towards hypotheses and experiments. And when I was able to start to treat my recovery like an experiment and kind of see like, when I do this, this happens and there can be a latency and meaning there could be a delay. So sometimes there could be like a comment or a test that was coming up for me. The behavior would happen not in the exact moment, but there would be a delay. And the more I drew self-awareness to how that specific event was impacting me internally, the more my external world started to change. So when I really started to go into my inner world and put a lot of my focus and attention into my inner world, my outer world started to change. And so that self-awareness, which I think continues to this day, I'm continuing to understand and have more self-awareness and get to know myself more and more. So I think the key really one thing for me was knowing myself, starting to turn inward instead of turning outward. When I was looking at calories, looking at weight, those were all external things that I was looking at, numbers. And when I started to like the inner world, the thoughts, the emotions, that's when everything started to change for me because it wasn't just this random thing. I wasn't just eating out of control for no reason. There was emotions underneath that. There was limiting beliefs underneath that. There was cognitive distortions that were driving that. So do you guys have any similar patterns with just starting to understand what needed to change by focusing on what was going on inside you? Yeah, well, I relate to what you said just about like tracking like what you're doing and just looking back and then you can make connections. Because um, earlier in my recovery, I had a therapist recommend that. And I, w- I remember arguing with her like, what is this going to do? Like, because we're trying to figure out like, oh, like, why do you binge? What's driving a binge? And it was like, I don't know. It just happens. No, it doesn't just happen. <laughs> and like when you pay attention and you track that, that was one of many things with recovery where like my heart wasn't in it. I didn't believe it or, or agree with it, but I did it anyway. And once I did, it was like, oh, okay, yeah. I can see some connections and that helps me change my behavior for the future to know what's going on. Yeah, totally. You know, and I always thought too, with a lot of these things, like at least with the self-monitoring, so we could say self-awareness, self-monitoring helped me build self-awareness. So how did I get to more self-awareness? Through self-monitoring. I continue to monitor myself once again, now, even years after being recovered, because it's helping me grow and improve and evolve at a much faster rate than if I didn't. But I found that I always like during the time with my meal logging and all of that, I was like, but I don't want to be obsessed about this. I don't want to have this be my life where I'm always logging my meals and having to pay so much attention to it. So I kind of resisted that practice at first thinking that, is this how it's going to be forever? Is this like what I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life? And I no longer monitor my meals or any of that. I mean, I continue once again to this day to monitor my emotions and try to understand them more. But I just find it really fun. Like <laughs> you can like you can pay me to stop doing that. I love it. Uh, and so I, you know, you can really when we understand ourselves, we can do better. 
So that was one thing just to kind of put out there is like with that meal logging and self-awareness, it's not forever, but you do understand the patterns. And when you know the pattern, then you can actually get in there and work on it. Mm-hmm. It's only temporary, like everything in life. Well, I just brought my car to the mechanic. It's the similar thing when you go to the mechanic and you like hear something and you like, I don't know what this is. And then they diagnose it and they're like, this is what the issue is. This is how we're going to we're going to work on it. And then they work on it. it. You know, it's not as fast as like taking yourself into the mechanic because <laughs> obviously there's a lot of more that goes into it. But if you are just hearing this noise in the background of your mind and you don't ever pay attention to it and really put your finger on it, then you're not really able to address it in a more systematic way. Totally. And I feel like that's what makes that pro- that, that practice, I guess, of self-awareness so powerful. At least that's also what was my experience is that we're humans. And as, as Andrea said, the only constant is kind of change. Everything's temporary. So that means things are going to keep happening, right? We're going to keep having difficult emotions. Maybe they're not as related to the eating disorder anymore, but other things, other narratives that we have in our mind. And if we know how to observe that and then work our way through that, then that's going to benefit us for the rest of our life, right? Not just in the recovery journey. Yeah, exactly. Just being able to say, oh, look, this is now in my experience, or I'm experiencing this emotion, or this person just said this, and I'm experiencing this thought, which is bringing up this emotion. It's just that mindfulness aspect of self-compassion, right? And as we know, the, the two really go together. You can't be self-compassionate without the mindfulness because you need to know where to address the self-compassion through the awareness and the mindfulness. Well, I've loved listening to all these ways that you guys have really found the one thing that moved the needle in your recovery. And from there, other things just started to fall into place. And so listener, think about all these different things, whether it's community, whether it's connecting to the deeper truths of who you are, whether it's understanding who you are from a very mindful, self-aware place, or having self-compassion, which once you are more aware of self, you can become more self-compassionate, and also just stepping into who you truly want to be, not what is expected of you or what you think you should be in order to be loved or to fit in. And then from there, you can find much greater purpose and meaning. How about everybody just signs off with one thing you want to share now? This isn't just one little piece of inspiration or something that you took away from this conversation that you feel is a good way to wrap it up. The first intuitive thought that came to my mind was to treat yourself uh, like a friend, which is kind of like what Manaya was saying. But in the same way, for me, that kind of goes in hand also with the self-awareness and the mindfulness, right? Because if a friend did something and you didn't understand why, you might ask and try to find out, well, why? Oh, it's because you're scared of that. Oh, that's why you behave that way. Oh, well, now I totally understand and it's no problem. So yeah, I feel like if we can learn practice to treat ourselves as a friend, that's one of the most powerful things we can do. And what way to like get to the end of your life and be like, damn, I was my best friend. That was fun. <laughs> Instead of like, I hated myself my whole life. And yes. <laughs> I think uh, I agree with that. I think I can add to that a little bit by saying that I think it's really important to always stay true to yourself and listen to your own needs. Yeah, I agree with what you all said. I would add to that that keep trying. You know, it doesn't. It's not going to feel easy or authentic, as Andrea was saying at the beginning when you're doing these things like listening to your emotions and, and being compassionate and treating yourself with love at the beginning is going to feel 
almost awkward and strange and like you don't deserve it, but keep trying. Like it's a practice and the more you practice, the better it's going to feel and the more you're going to master it and eventually it's going to feel good. And eventually you won't even think about another way to treat yourself that is not with love and compassion and, and understanding and acceptance. Yeah, I think my one takeaway from this conversation is that recovery is not one size fits all. There's a lot of things that we all relate to and we share with the recovery experience. And also there's some things that are totally different and totally our own, like Jessica and Madeline talking about how much yoga helped them in their recovery. And I've never done recovery in my, I mean, sorry, I have done recovery. I've never, I've never done yoga in my life, but I'm also living in recovery. So everyone has their different path, but also people can relate in a lot of ways too. So that's my big takeaway. Awesome. I would say mine is keep an open mind because the mindset that got you into the eating disorder is not the mindset that's going to get you out of the eating disorder. And so just being open to new ways of being and doing and seeing the world, whether that is trying these things that may feel a little awkward at first or time consuming. Why do I have to add that extra time into my day to self-monitor? try it out. Just give it a chance. Give it a chance. Give yourself a chance and see what happens. So bring that experimenter mindset into your life and see what happens. Yes. Science and soul, as you always say. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's recovery, merging the science and the soul. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, everybody. I love you guys. You guys are such a great team. And it's just so amazing to hear your stories and get to know you more and and how you've been able to get here today to, to help all these other warriors. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Warrior.